The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello, and welcome to Triple Feature. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me on his whirly gig is the protocol son, the Velocipastor, the hobo samurai, apparently, my prince, whereas I am the king, he is the prince of crap movies. Ladies and gentlemen, he's still holding nerd land against me. Jason Teasley, how do you do, sir? You are not only muted, but you're like on a roller coaster. Nope, still can't hear you, bud. Oh, Jason, Jason, Jason. Well, while he figures it, nope, Jason still can't hear you, bud. There you go. Now you're muted. Nope, you're still muted. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> well, Jason figures his life out. I mean, when I actually hear him again, he can jump in. Tonight, triple feature, we're going to be looking at the Grindhouse double feature, which consisted of Death Proof, directed by Quentin Tarantino, and Planet Terror, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, those featured fake trailers. <laughs> One of the fake trailers was developed into a full-length feature like motion picture, and that was Hobo with a Shotgun. And uh, that stars Rutger Howard, and we're going to be talking about that as well. As, like I said, as Jason figures his life out, let's do some uh, shopkeeping here. So Grindhouse is a 2007 American film written and directed by Rodriguez and um, Quentin Tarantino. It was presented as a double feature. It combines Rodriguez's Planet Terror, a horror comedy about a group of survivors who battle zombie-like creatures, and Tarantino's Death Proof, an action thriller about a murderous stuntman who kills young women with modified vehicles. Um, Planet Terror uh, stars Rose McGowan, Freddie Rodriguez, Michael Bean, Jeff Fahey, Josh Brolin, and Mary Shelton. Uh, Death Proof stars Kurt Russell, Rosaria Dawson, Vanessa Ferlito, Jordan Ladd, Sidney Tamila Poitier, Poitier, uh, Tracy Thorns. Yeah, I hear you now, Jason. Mary okay. Winstead and Zoe Bell. Grindhouse pays homage to the exploitation films of the 1970s, of which I am a huge fan, with its title deriving from the now defunct theaters that would show such films. As part of its theatrical presentation, Grindhouse also featured fictitious exploitation trailers directed by Rodriguez, Rob Zombie, Edgar Wright, Eli Roth, and Jason Eisner. And I think they've all been made into full-length movies at this point. I thought only Machete was made into a full-length movie. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, Machete and Hobo with a shotgun. I feel like more was done with some of this other stuff. Uh, we can read into it in just a second. But you and I, you know, <laughs> I've been, I've said this a couple of times this week, back when we used to have fun on this network. Uh, sometimes people would just throw a pitch out there like, you know, it'd be fun to talk about this movie and or, or these movies. And we would just do them. They didn't synergize with anything. There was no reason for it. It wasn't like a holiday that we were trying to sink into. It was just, we, we're, we're movie fans. We, we're friends. We like talking about this stuff. So let's do it. And so back in the pre-social era, Jason and I were talking about Hobo with a Shotgun. And I'm like, well, if we're going to do that, then we also have to talk about Death, Proof, and Planet Terror. At the time, I first of all, I, I didn't even realize Hobo with a Shotgun was a real movie. But yeah. um, of the Grindhouse movies in their respective days, the only one that I was familiar with was Death Proof because it was the only one I was interested in. I was not interested in Planet Terror. So I'd actually seen Death Proof before, and it's one of my favorite Tarantino movies. Um, Planet Terra, I watch for the purposes of this review. How about you, Jason? Uh, Death Proof is probably one of my least favorite Tarantino so films. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I just think it's a little wordy. Uh, it's so it's a lot wordy. Yeah, I'm just saying it's just so dialogue driven. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's not a bad film by any right. It's just for my style of movies I like, it's mm -hmm. way too dialogue driven. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get in that lull of, uh, you know, it kind of drags for me here. Now, mm. Planet Terror, on the other hand, action pack, not not very dialogue heavy, but definitely, uh, definitely one of the higher end uh, films that I like in this grindhouse thing. Tarantino does a great thing, and you see a lot of homages uh, in Death Proof, but I think it's a it's a great movie. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's just way too wordy for me. And this, and what's funny about it is Tarantino himself stated that this is probably one of his least favorite movies that he made. Is it really? Yeah, I was reading it. It's on IMDb. It says, he said, it, it's not, he said, it's one of my least favorite movies I made. He said, it's a great movie. He said, but he said, um, it's just not one of the movies that, he said that it's not his, it's really outside of his style. Mm -hmm. And he said it's, in his personal opinion, it's one of his least favorite movies. So I just want to kind of read through the history and development here because I truly do find this stuff interesting, Jason. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do it. And I tell you, like, the, the, the concept of doing the Grindhouse uh, feature with one of the trailers that made it into a movie appealed to me just because it gave me an opportunity to just geek out a little bit on some film history that I don't always get to talk about. You know, we spend so much of our time with the AMU Hollywood talking about new movies. This era of filmmaking, we don't necessarily get to explore very much for one reason or another. So, you know, pardon me if I, uh, <laughs> if I have my geek moment. Oh, go right ahead. And what's, what's really interesting when I first seen these, both of these, Planet Terror and Death Proof. I actually seen it in theaters, so it was it was a really cool experience because, you know, the Grindhouse films is something that me and you explore a lot, especially when we do yeah. our B movie reviews and stuff. Right. Uh, it's that that kind of subgenre of movies that we explore. So this was kind of a it kind of meshed both of our wheelhouses because we had a very intense movie a horror movie and an interesting movie <laughs> and uh and a movie movie and, and it, it like it like 
hit all aspects that me and you do. And it was in the realm of our B movies and the Grindhouse films that me and you enjoy. Yep. The idea for Grindhouse came to Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino when Tarantino set up screenings of double features in his house, complete with trailers before and in between the films. During one of the screenings in 2003, Rodriguez noticed that he owned the same double feature movie poster as Tarantino for the 1957 films Drag Strip Girl and Rock All Night. Rodriguez asked Tarantino, I've always wanted to do a double feature. Hey, why don't you direct one and I'll do the other? Tarantino was like, fuck yeah, we got to call it Grindhouse. So we're all in here. The film's name originates from the American term for theaters that played all the exploitation genres, kung fu, horror, giallo, sexploitation, the good old boy, redneck car chase movies, black exploitation, a favorite of mine, spaghetti westerns, all <laughs> nunsploitation, you know, another <laughs> good one. <laughs> All those. Oh, I just had a, I just had a flashback of that series we covered. Oh, gave me an aneurysm. Which one? Uh, the nun, the warrior nun. Yeah, warrior nun. Oh, you know they got renewed for a second season. If you want to do that one, you gotta, you gotta contact Alexis. Um. (laughs) Is that a what? My 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 mic's going out. What? (laughs) I I can't hear you. Is that gonna be a no from you, dog? Yeah, that's gonna be a no from me, dog. The first season was was tragedy. Uh, according to Rodriguez, the posters were much better than the movies, but we're actually making something that lives up to the posters. Rodriguez first came up with the idea for Planet Terror during the production of The Faculty, which is actually one that I wanted to do uh, on this, but the, 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 that was in the before time. I remember telling Elijah Wood and Josh Hartnett, all these young actors, that zombie movies were dead and hadn't been around in a while, but that I thought they were going to come back in a big way. Because they've been for the for so long. Yeah, I'm, I'm having some troubles today. I said, we've got to be there first. I had a script. They started writing. It was about 30 pages. And I said to them, there are characters for all of you to play. We got all excited about it. And then I didn't know where to go with it. The introduction was about as far as I'd gotten. And then I got onto other movies. Sure enough, the zombie movie invasion had happened. And, all, and they all came back again. And I was like, ah, I should have known. I, mean, I should have made my zombie movie film. The story was approached again by when Tarantino and Rodriguez developed the idea for Grindhouse. As Planet Terror took shape, Tarantino developed a story for Death Proof based on his fascination for the way stuntmen would death, death proof their cars. As long as they were driving, stuntmen could slam their cars headfirst into brick walls at 60 miles an hour and survive. That inspired Tarantino to create a slasher film featuring a deranged stuntman who stalks and murders sexy young women with his death proof car. Can I tell you just right off the bat, this is why we're going to start with this movie first. How much <laughs> I fucking love that idea. Just, just as yeah. a pitch. Like, if, again... In my alternate universe uh, role where I am a studio executive in charge of green lighting production and someone comes in with this pitch, this isn't a long meeting. It's just, yes, here's your check. We're done here. (laughs) So so we don't get the YouTube pitch meeting. No, this is like, hey, I want to make a movie where a stuntman kills, kills sexy broads with the car. You you had me at killed sexy broads. Um, So whatever, (laughs) whatever. He had you a stuntman. True. <laughs> you had me at hello. Um, God, I could not remember the name of that movie the other day uh, when I was making that joke. Uh, Tarantino remembers I couldn't do a straight slasher film because with the exception of women in prison films, another one of my favorite genres, there is no other genre quite as rigid. And if you break that up, you aren't really doing it anymore. It's inorganic. So I realized, let me take the structure of a slasher film and just do what I do. My version is going to be fucked up and disjointed, but it seemingly uses the structure of a slasher film, hopefully against you. According to Rodriguez, Tarantino had an idea and a complete vision for it right away when he first started talking about it. He started to tell me the story and said, it's got this death proof car in it. And he says, you have to call it death proof because, <laughs> you know, let's be right on the nose. Yeah. Um, 
Roll helped, credits. <laughs> I helped title the movie, but that's it. Of the car chases, uh, Tarantino stated, CGI for the cars that doesn't make any sense to me. How is that supposed to be impressive? I don't think there have been any good car chases since I started making films in 1992. To me, the last terrific car chase was in Terminator 2. And Final Destination 2 had a magnificent car action piece. It's the only thing anyone remembers from that series. In between that, not a lot. Every time a stunt happens, there's 12 cameras, and they use every angle for avid editing, but I don't feel it in my stomach. It's just action. So with that said, let's talk about Death Proof first. Uh, Three friends, Arlene, Shauna, and radio disc jockey Jungle Julia, spend a night in Austin, Texas for fun, unknowingly followed by a mysterious man in a souped-up stunt modified 1971 Chevy Nova. So in high school, Jason, I had a 1976 metallic green Chevy Nova. And yes, as I learned from personal experience, oh. you could bang the shit out of that car. You could oh, yeah. ram it into everything. They were they were like tanks. Mm-hmm. The the Nova was like that, especially that body style. It yeah. was like a tank. It, it would it would distill a line from time as it took a lick and kept on ticking. Yeah, if you really wanted to kill a bitch by hitting him with a goddamn with that with a motherfucking car, think think no further than the Chevy Nova. Holy cow, dude. I love that car. I mean, granted, you know, I it was this was 1994, and mine was a 76, and it was not souped up. I the only the only thing I did with that motherfucker was put a new radio in it. Um, <laughs> about my age, remember those? Remember, you remember the old like blah punks, you know, or whatever they had a handle on them because you didn't want anyone to steal your fucking yeah, radio. I had, was a I, thing. Had the, I had the I had one of those. I had mm-hmm. one of the detachable faces. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. people used yeah, to carry yeah. that shit around like eyeglasses. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> God, I mean, I thought I was coming on here to have fun, not get attacked. Yes, I, I remember the uh, portable um, car radio days. Gosh, I'm so old. Anyway, um, the man, uh, stuntman Mike, stalks the young woman with his death-proof car, eventually killing all three and additional friend Lana Frank. 14 months later, stuntman Mike, now in Tennessee and driving a 1969 Dodge Charger, tells another group of young women, Lee Abernathy and stuntwoman Kim and Zoe, a group of women working below the line in Hollywood whose stock 1970 Dodge Challenger proves a worthy adversary. Um, and so basically, as the, as the plot synopsis goes, yeah, he um, there's this lo- very, really, really long extended sequence of everyone just hanging out in a bar. And one gal gets into Kurt Russell plays the stuntman. One gal gets into Kurt Russell's car, and he takes her home, Daddy O. <laughs> um, and uh, he doesn't go home. He instead follows the set of three girls who are also driving home, and Rex, you know, it just drives into him, killing the passenger and uh, all three of the women, which we'll talk about in vascular detail in just a moment. The movie kind of then resets, and you met an entirely new set of ca- characters led by Rosario Dawson, and uh, they run afoul of Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell tries to run them off the road, and they fight back. This is all happening while one of the women is <laughs> is hanging on the hood of the, like, per- they decide, I can't, what was it they called it? Like, it's just, it's a mast, something mast. Yeah, raising the mast, I think it is, something yeah. along those lines. So, which is basically, as the car is driving at high speed, you crawl out of the window, you crawl onto the hood, and you just kind of surf there. Um, So she's on the hood while Kurt Russell's ramming the car. Eventually, they get the upper hand, and they run him off the road. The three girls beat the living shit out of Kurt Russell, and the movie's over. Well, you skipped skipped a little bit there. Okay, 
he he runs them off the road and he gets out and he's kind of like really condescending. He's like, well, sorry, ladies. And then he gets a fucking bullet in the shoulder because oh, yeah. he did not, he did not expect that. So that, and then it goes from the, and he's like, oh shit, I got to get out of here. And right. then they decide, then these three ladies decide, no, fuck that. We ain't going to let this happen. And they just mm-hmm. like, we're going to kill this motherfucker. Right. So they, they become. They're going to hit it, that motherfucker with a car. And it goes from <laughs> Kurt Russell being the predator to the prey. Sure. And, and it's instantaneous. And they fucking wrecked this man's life. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of got on Alexis the other night because, you know, she, she was talking about like, oh, I'm a trained fighter. And I'm like, you're on this with three other adult men all training combat sports. You don't have a fucking chance. I, mean, I don't remember <laughs> what it was now. It was uh, we were talking about when I think it was you who was like, you want to play games? Let's, you know, we're oh, yeah. on the desert island, which rattled in broadcasting member relates to the end. And I'm like, OK, Pat takes out Alexis first. And yeah. um, there's no way there's no way he doesn't, given those rules. And she's just like, "Oh, I'm glad you didn't give me a chance." And I'm like, "Against Pat, you asshole!" No. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like Winfrey and Pat are like my two condemned um, <laughs> final final people. Like, and I and I even said this in the chat. It's like I could see the final showdown on a beach in a in a thunderstorm <laughs> with uh, <laughs> Pat and Winfrey going at each other and just fighting to the death till both of them die and it's a draw because those are two guys on this network i feel they could hold their own well you can't forget andrew andrew's trained too well i don't know andrew that well uh, like on the level that i know trust me on that one that's there's a triple threat at the end of this movie okay so so we'll throw andrew in there because Mm -hmm. like i said i don't know him on that level so you know i don't know but pat and robert robert would be that that really sneaky yeah. Uh, like off predators, like the doctor from Predators, but <laughs> but he would totally fuck you up with with, with the oh, fighting I style. Can, please put in the chat. Take a minute while I get us back on track here to put in the chat. Robert Winfrey is the Topher Grace of Rattledge and Broadcasting. Okay, <laughs> let's just leave what, it there. Let's let's watch his head explode. Yes. So anyway, okay. um, I want I want to talk about Death Proof now. So. As as great of an ending as that is, I mean, he's shot in the shoulder, he's wrecked in a car wreck, and then, then three women beat the living shit out of him. Sure, I'm going to let that one slide. Under normal circumstances, the average man versus the average woman, the average woman is not going to do that well. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, Grindhouse is awesome. If you can get past the... See, here's the thing, and I talk about this all the time in terms of like film structure and content. Movies made in the 70s, of which this is aping, are slow writers they they are very dialogue driven because they could not you know back at back in the old timey times budgets were for, for movies were you know small budgets were uh relative to the expected take of the movie so if you had a hit on your hands you know the in terms of multipliers they they were always very high so you make ghostbusters for for a song and you have a huge hit on your hands yeah sure it makes shit tons of money you, you shot it for nothing so and especially a lot of these, um, these Tation movies, exploit you know these uh, exploitation, black exploitation, nun exploitation, uh, you know spaghetti westerns. Yeah, they would shoot these things for maybe a couple of hundred thousand, and if you happen to have gotten one or two million people, you know dollars in in box office, you had a hit on your hands, and that's how. It isn't until like the last twenty years, I think, where. Budgets ballooned so out of control that if it didn't make a billion dollars, 
you didn't have a hit on your hands anymore. You know, like we've been lamenting Black Adam. Black Adam was shot for two hundred million, and it's gonna and it's gonna be considered a bomb because it didn't crack five hundred million, which it doesn't seem like it's going to. That's that's you know. So I I look at a movie like Death Proof, going back to that, and I'm okay with how talky it is. I get I get that that's not everyone's bag, but you got to also think about film structure in terms of if you're going to kill off a whole bunch of characters, you have to take time to get to know them. And I think that's my one criticism of death proof is those first three girls that he kills. I'm not really in love with the second set of girls. I don't want to see die. And that might, and that might've also been purposeful, but on the other hand, if you're rooting for the monster to kill the vixens, I'm not entirely sure you wrote your vixens all that well. What do you think? Well, yeah, and you got to look, you know, and I want to tie this in a little later. Uh, you got to look when this was released. It was released as a double feature. Mm -hmm. You had Planet Terra first, which is that high point. Mm -hmm. Then you need that law. You need that. You need to kind of bring yourself back down. So that's why I think this works if you watch the two in order. Sure. Um, I agree with you. The first, the first three girls we we spend a lot of time with mm -hmm. but there's really no substance there the outside of the outside of the striptease scene the first half of that movie is is kind of forgettable yeah and, well it's, it's three vapid girls talking about fucking dudes yeah Not much and, of anything else and the and outside of you know the set structure the aesthetics the mm -hmm. nods in the background like you've seen the shirt cut ursa wears a little uh, Big Trouble in Little China, hanging up by the jukebox. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's mm -hmm. there. But yeah, I mean, and you see these nods that he puts in films, and that I think that kind of because there's a lot of them in the first half of this movie, not so much the second. And I think that kind of took took me out of the first half of the first section of that is because you notice the subtleties rather than caring about the substance of the three girls and. How that how the one girl gets <laughs> gets murdered is like insane because she she just smacks off the the windshield pretty hard. Okay, and, and we need to talk about that. So he's got so it's a stunt car and the driver is boxed in and protected so that when the impact happens he's covered. But there's nothing there. There there isn't even a seat. He has to like install yeah. like, a, like a portable seat. For her to sit there there's no belt there's nothing so when she's just like fuck you let me out of here you psycho and he's just like whoop you know <laughs> she goes yeah. crashing into the window this like bulletproof window and you know, breaks her nose and everything and then he stops short and she, her head just crashes into the windshield which is an immovable object because it's a death-proof car <clears throat> that's one hell of a way to go like she's essentially battered to death with a car yeah it's basically human blender is what <laughs> What, because, uh, and he, he tells tells her the line, he said, well, you know, you'd be safe if you were sitting where I'm sitting. <laughs> and like, and it's just, and it's just so brutal. And it's a really cool concept. Like we said, it's a cool concept okay. for for the, the style and the movie itself. Kurt Russell's line delivery historically tends to be a bit showy, a bit acty. You know, like he he does. I I would not call Kurt Russell, um, unless he's really trying hard or really controlled by the director, to be the most convincing of actors. However, he has 
charisma for days. He's he's one of the more charismatic actors out there. When you watch Kurt Russell in a lead performance, you know you're watching an actor perform. But the performance is so good, you don't care. He doesn't handle realism all that well. But when you're looking for a character to uh, come through the screen, you know, and enrapture you as an audience member, there almost is no better than Kurt Russell. And so here you have you have to have him kind of give you we all go mad sometimes moment. So when he tells her which way you go in left or right, she's like, oh, I'm going right. He's like, well, that's unfortunate because I'm going left and so are you. And you wouldn't have gotten scared right now if you were going left, too. But I guess you just have to be scared. And it's like it's almost like Christopher Lloyd, Roger Rabbit moment of remember me, Eddie, with, you know, without the googly eyes, like like the sheer terror and, and like insanity in that scene, the insanity of his face when he says, I guess you'll just have to be scared now. Yikes, man. Like I've seen enough horror in my, especially in recent years with the rest of you nuts, you know, uh -huh. I've, seen enough, I've seen enough gross stuff. Nothing quite as scary as Kurt Russell in that moment. Right. And that's something I'm going to lean in on. Um, mm -hmm. He was, he was one of the finalists. Uh, the other finalists to play this character was Mickey Rourke, Sly Stallone, and Big Rames. Mm -hmm. I don't think any, I, I love all three of those as an actor. Mickey Rourke probably comes the closest. I, but I don't think, I don't think he, he fits the mold of this character mm -hmm. because he's more of the, the, because the the premise of this, he's a stunt guy that has has you know a charming demeanor, uh, is kind of attractive. Mickey Rourke in two thousand seven was the wrestler. He, he was you know <laughs> he wasn't you know he he wouldn't have been able to pull that to see him because you have to have some kind of realism to be a, this guy has to be able to convince this girl to leave with him. Yeah. I don't think that that, um, and I don't think, and the line delivery is from Kurt Russell is great because he is that little bit over the top showman. And another quick nod in this, what I liked is if you ever noticed anytime he got in the car, he looked right at the camera and smiled. That was a nod to, that was a nod to Burt Reynolds, uh, in this, like the Smokey and the Bandit movies and everything, because he did the same thing. It was kind of a wink and a nod. And I, it was kind of uh, uh, an homage to that. But Kurt Russell can be terrifying. I mean, because he's such a charming guy and his antics are over the top. It's a, when he it's does a, play serious. Right. It, it's so it's much more. Sub, it's a so much more subdued performance when he's ego in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. But when he turns it on and he's just like, I've mm -hmm. killed lots of people and your mother. <laughs> it's like, yikes. And with with no compassion, just right, just dead panned. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Anything else about uh, Death Proof before we move on? No. Now we're going to get into my my favorite of the two. Yeah. All right. Planet fucking terror. Um, I watched this Saturday night. My girlfriend came over and we watched it together. It's the first time I watched this, and I was into it at first, and then after a little while, I was like, "This is fucking boring as shit." <laughs> oh wow. See, see, I don't get that. Uh, yeah. it's so. Well, see, this is a this is out of your wheelhouse. You're not into the body horror. You're not into the, you know, the blood and guts. Uh, I mean, type thing. Look, I'll, I'll I'll sit there and watch a David Cronenberg The Fly that actually goes someplace. I think my I mean, let's let's get into what the plot is of this. But just just 
my first viewing of Planet Terror. Now, granted, I watched it at 11 o'clock at night. That might have been part of the problem. <laughs> but um, in bed. But I think I, I think from what I remembered of the trailers from back in the day, there was just a lot more going on. You know, I think in my head, I confuse Planet Terror and Mars Attacks. And sometimes I think they're the same. <laughs> No, <laughs> that might be part of the Vast, problem. Vastly different, dude. Someday I gotta talk about Mars Attacks. That movie is fucking amazing. I've never um, seen it. Oh, you've never seen Mars Attacks? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. All right, so Planet Terror in a rural town in Texas, go-go dancer Cherry Darling <laughs> decides to quit her low-paying job and find another use for her numerous useless talents. She runs into a mysterious ex-boyfriend, El Ray, at the Bone Shack a restaurant owned by J.T. Haig. Meanwhile, a group of military officials led by the demented Lieutenant Muldoon is making a business transaction with a scientist named Abby for mass quantities of a deadly biochemical agent known as DC-2, codenamed Project Terror. Muldoon learns that Abby has an extra supply on hand and attempts to take him hostage. Abby intentionally releases the gas into the air. The gas reaches the town and turns its residents into deformed, bloodthirsty, man-eating psychopaths, mockingly referred to as sickos by the surviving humans. The infected townspeople are treated by the sinister Dr. William Block and his abused, neglected anesthesiologist wife, Dakota, at a local hospital. As the patients quickly become enraged aggressors, Cherry and El Ray lead a team of accidental warriors into the night, struggling to find safety. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and let you take the lead on this discussion because I kind of dominated the death proof stuff, the, the death proof conversation. So take it away, Jason. Uh, this this was probably like I said, this is my favorite out of the the two Grindhouse movies that we're reviewing today. Um, mm -hmm. It is so over the top and just so fun. I, I you know I can't help but not like uh, smile because and I thought this would be something you like because you know we have that seventy exploitation movie, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, a bitch gets a fucking gun as a leg. How can you not like that? <laughs> oh no, that part's great. Rose McGowan <laughs> with the gun leg is fucking amazing. It's the best yeah, part of the that movie. Yeah, that is that is iconic. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. please please don't get me wrong. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's just and, and she's such a badass uh, in this movie, and you know, especially with today's thing, um, how it's movies are kind of swayed one way. You want to. You see these he uh, female her heroes. Now, this was badass female hero. This is something mm -hmm. everybody can get behind because she's a very beautiful lady in this movie. Mm -hmm. And she has a gun as a leg. Oh, Rose Gowan is beautiful in general. Tits, tits, violence, <laughs> and a gun leg. You've got every every guy from 18 to 45 locked in. Yeah, I can't. I, other than other than a few select group of our friends who tends to run up the down staircase, I don't know a heterosexual man and some homosexual men that wouldn't fight Rose McGowan, who wouldn't kick Rose McGowan out of the bed for eating crackers. Right. So, uh, and the the underlying tone of this is Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin plays this doctor. He plays such a fucking douchebag <laughs> and an asshole. But it is, uh, it works for him. That's what's weird is you forget Josh Brolin is a presence on film. I mean, he's no, he's no um, old boy that you still you still hold against me. But just a presence on screen that he comes off as this really menacing douchebag, mm -hmm. and and especially when he gets infected, mm -hmm. is just. Is like you're like this, this. He's gonna fuck some shit up. Um, now there is some parts of this movie that do make me a little squeamish, uh, like when he, he's doing the 
it's like one of the first people to come in and he's looking at the face and it bursts and goes on his yeah that that's kind of one i'm I'm like and the the chewing on the thermometer uh throughout the entire thing and the emt goes that's not sanitary he goes well it's only in my mouth (laughs) it's like some of the line delivery that he gives Mm -hmm. is really really on point he says it in a joking manner, but it's kind of kind of menacing how he mm-hmm. delivers the line. So, but this is a, for me, it's just a movie that you could set down, put on, have in the background, just kind of, you don't need to be fully invested in it. You don't need to be like paying attention to film detail to break down the, the cinematography it's just a fun movie to have on the background to kill kill about two hours and just relax and just zone out have fun and it's a it's a it's a great popcorn movie for me i, I don't i don't hate the movie don't get me wrong and i think for what it is i think it works it's just i think i had different expectations one again confusing it with mars attack there's a lot of people running across screen like on fire and shit like that <laughs> they're being like chased by an alien with a gun and I thought there'd be more of that kind of a thing with Planet Terror. Like again, I remember the um, I remember the trailer for it, and it was a lot of like, oh no, zombies and people running across the screen. And so much of this movie takes place in the hospital. It is a very, I mean, I think the runtime on this is let me see, hour uh, forty five. Yeah, the run is a yeah, it's an hour and forty five minutes. Sorry, it's a hundred. It's a hundred ninety one. Yeah. It's 105 minutes, it says here. Um, so, yeah, an hour and 45. Math. Um, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> fucking magnets. How do they work? Um, so, it just it, it feels like it's just slowly paced, you know, and this, it shouldn't have taken that long to get to zombies. And I think the other thing about it is, and I'm not like a gore, whore, gore hound or anything. But I think for a movie like this, I was expecting more gross blood explosions, and there wasn't really enough of that. Well, we I get t- that hobo with the shotgun. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, you know, as far as like performances go, Rose McGowan's great in this. Um, Josh Brolin, as you said, is appropriately menacing. That poor nurse wife Dakota that he abuses through this thing, I think, gives a really good performance. Uh, um. I wish they had done more, and then he kind of, he is kind of there at the end. And I wish he had been kind of around in the beginning, kind of, you know, as a bit of a spoiler. But um, yeah, I just uh, I don't have that much more to add to Planet Terror. Um, I've got one final thought. Um, you keep going back to the go trailer. Ahead, go ahead. Uh, you keep going back to the trailer. In the seventies, with these grindhouse movies, they did trailers different. We're 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 used to trailers now. Back mm-hmm. then. It's just like the movie posters. Um, you get, you get a big star. You 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 very are very deceiving uh, with your movie trailer and your poster. Mm-hmm. Back then, you get a big star. You plaster them on the the poster. Like Michael like Howard. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> you get. Uh, you want to build up anticipation in the trailer without really giving anything away what trailers need to do now. Uh, so you get a, a you get a 
anticipation to get the basically in pro wrestling terms, you want to talk people into the arenas. Mm-hmm. Once there, they've already spent their money, so you can do whatever the hell you want. They've already bought. They've already bought their ticket. So that was a lot. That was a big ploy with a lot of these movies is a lot of bait and switch mm. with movie posters and trailers showing you one thing and giving you something completely different. All right. So let's talk about the trailers for a moment. Um, so before each segment, trailers advertising fake films are shown as well as vintage theater snipes and an ad for a fictional restaurant called Acuna Boys. According to Rodriguez, Tarantino had the idea to make to film fake trailers for Grindhouse. I don't even know about it until I read it in the trades. It said something like Rodriguez and Tarantino doing a double feature, and Tarantino says it's going to be fake trailers. And I thought, there are? <laughs> Sounds like something that would go on with us. Yeah. Rodriguez and Tarantino had originally planned to make all the films fake trailers themselves. How, according to Rodriguez, we had so many ideas for trailers. I had uh, I made machete. I shot lobby cards and poster and cut the trailer and sent it to Quentin, and he just flipped out because it looked so vintage and so real. He started showing it around to Eli Roth and to Edgar Wright, and they said, can we do a trailer? We have an idea for a trailer. We were like, hey, let them shoot it. If we don't get around to shooting ours, we'll put theirs in the movie. If theirs come out really great, we'll put it in the movie to have some variety. Then Rob Zombie came up to me in October at the Scream Awards and said, I have a trailer, Werewolf Women of the SS. Let me just stop right there. Yes. Blank blank of the SS is a common thing in this era of filmmaking. It's so like that's such a great like oh like it's just like a film fan thing to do. You know, like yes. oh my god, I want to make an Elsa the She Wolf of the SS knockoff trailer type of thing. That's like a fan thing to say. Yeah, and because you if you go back in film film libraries, you'll mm-hmm. find that that uh moniker on I'm going to say probably at least 150 films. <laughs> at least. Um, I just I just love that. Like, as a film fan, I'm like, oh, good. You know, my people. Uh, I said, say no more. Go shoot it. You got me. Each trailer was shot in two days while Wright and Roth shot only what ended up on screen. Zombie shot enough footage to work into a half-hour film and was particularly pain to edit it down. Some Canadian screening releases included the South by Southwest winning trailer Hobo with a Shotgun, which we will talk about momentarily. Yes. So some screenings of Grindhouse, mainly in Canada, also the fe- featured a fake trailer for a film titled Hobo with a Shotgun. The trailer created by Dartmouth, Nova, Nova Scotia filmmakers Jason Eisner, John Davies, and Rob Cutterill won Robert Rodriguez South by Southwest Grindhouse Trailers Contest. In the trailer, David Brunt plays a vagabond with a 20 gauge shotgun who becomes a vigilante. In the trailer, he is shown killing numerous persons ranging from armed robbers to corrupt cops to a pedophilic Santa Claus. The trailer was available in certain selected movie theaters in the U.S. and Canada. In 2010, the trailer was made into a full-length uh, feature film starring Rutger Hauer as the hobo with Brunt playing a dirty cop. Hobo with a Shotgun was the second of the Grindhouse fake trailers to be turned into a feature film. The other one was Machete. The film was released March 25th, 2011 in Canada, April 1st on American Home Video Demand, and May 6th in U.S. theaters. All right, so let's talk about Hobo with the Shotgun. Uh, this the- clock. The this Batman thing, origin story that should have happened. <laughs> so this thing was made on a budget of $3 million. It didn't even make a million. None of these made money, by the way. None of them. Not a single one. Um, which is a shame. you know. But again, this is such a niche film thing. But it, it's more of the cult following. Yeah, sure. All right. So an unnamed hobo arrives by boxcar in the city of... <laughs> Nothing beats the hobo life. Stabbing folks with my hobo knife. <laughs> uh, it's a graffiti welcome sign reading Scumtown. 
The city is ruled over by a crime lord named the Drake and his sadistic sons, Ivan and Slick. The Hobo sees an amateur filmmaking shooting a bumfight-style movie. A bloody man named Logan, the Drake's younger brother, screams for help. The Drake and his sons arrive and label him a traitor to the townspeople for publicly decapitating him with a barbed wire noose attached to a moving car. Wishing to buy a lawnmower in a pawn shop, Hogo, the Hobo <laughs> begs for change on the sidewalk. However, after seeing a group of punks drag in a homeless man, he sneaks into Drake's nightclub. Inside, the brothers and their henchmen torture and kill the homeless people in arcade-style games. Slick begins harassing a boy named Otis who owes him money, and Ivan snaps Otis's arm. A prostitute named Abby is always a prostitute in these movies, by the way. Yeah, They're, you know, you can't just have you can't just have regular women. Oh, any starring woman has to be a prostitute. Um, defends Otis. Slick prepares to kill her, but the hobo knocks him unconscious and carries him to the police station. There, he learns of the police chief's corruption and complicity in criminal activities. The brothers in chief carve scum into his chest and throw him into a garbage bin, which he somehow lives through. He meets Abby, who helps him recover. The next day, the hobo power. goes to the filmmaker yes, and completes a series of degrading acts, including chewing glass to get enough money to buy the lawnmower. After getting his money and entering the pawn shop, a trio of robbers enter and hold the woman and her baby hostage. The hobo grabs a shotgun from the shelf and kills the robbers. Realizing that Hopetown needs justice, because of course he does, he buys the shotgun and proceeds to kill dozens of criminals, including the filmmaker, a pimp, a coke lord, and a pedophile dressed as Santa Claus. The Drake, infuriated, lets his sons loose. They enter a school bus and kill the 14 children inside with a flamethrower <laughs> who were friendly to hobos and burst into a television station to kill the anchorman during a live broadcast for expressing his appreciation of the hobo. They demand that all the homeless people be killed and a mass killing of the town's homeless is launched. The Drake then joins them and orders the hobo to be brought to him. You know, I feel like if you made hobo with a shotgun now, people would be killing, would be cheering for the homeless to be killed. I just feel like that's where we are in the culture. Well, I mean, it's basically, I mean, if you want to really think about this, this was the purge before the purge. Yes, which more and more people seem to be on the fav in favor of the purge, which was not the point of those movies. As Abby is walking home, not a cop like attempts. The purge. <laughs> okay, um, the hobo kills him, and Abby smuggles the hobo past a group in the shopping cart covered with the cops' remains. The pair is spotted by Otis, who informs Slick and Ivan back at her apartment. The, uh, the hobo tells Abby of his plan to start a lawn mowing business, which she enthusiastically supports. Ivan and Slick enter and attack the two, wounding Abby. The hobo overpowers Slick, holds him at gunpoint. And focus and forces Ivan to leave. The hobo then shoots Slick in the groin and takes Abby to the hospital. Slick manages to call the Drake before he is taken to hell in a burning school bus. The Drake, mourning the death of his favorite son, summons the plague, a duo of armor-clad demons named Rip and Grinder. Well, this is where the film gets silly. While Abby is recovering, the hobo visits. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> this is where the film gets silly. Yes, this is where the film loses me. While Abby is recovering, the hobo visits the maternity ward and delivers a monologue to the babies. Sure. As you do. <laughs> like you do. The plague slaughter all staff who make assistance uh, for the hobo. When he returns to Abby's room, the plague capture and deliver him to the Drake who plans to publicly execute him. Recovered, Abby returns to the pawn shop for weapons, attaching an axe to the hobo shotgun and retrofitting the hammer, the lawnmower into his shield. She arms the crowd to free the hobo and bring down the Drake. She confronts the Drake holding Ivan hostage. The Drake shoots and denounces him in disappointment. In the ensuing fight, Abby kills Grinder. Although Drake severs Abby's hand with the lawnmower shield, she stabs him repeatedly with her exposed arm bone and incapacitates him. Rip tries to persuade Abby to be his partner, but the hobo drives him off. The townspeople yell, Avengers, assemble! 
motivated by Abby's bravery, show up with their own weapons and proceed to aim them at the shocked police, who demand that they leave the area. Seeing the police will kill the people they fail to protect against the criminals, the hobo tells the Drake that on their upcoming ride to hell, you're riding shotgun, and blows his head off. The police shoot the hobo, and the people avenge him and turn their guns on the police. Both groups shoot each other while the hobo dies and Abby screams are heard. The corrupt police are killed and Drake's influence in the town comes to an end. And there are rainbows and doves and all kinds of bric-a-brac. Well, we know what the we know what the re- real townspeople said. Evil dies tonight. They did say evil dies tonight. Also defund the police. I'm just going to say this. I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie. This movie does not need a tremendous amount of uh, whatever. This is, this, this is cemetery cinematography history cinema history is what you're trying to babble yes words are hard (laughs) um this is this should go in the uh the museums be studied (laughs) the the national library of film (laughs) yes this this deserves national library of film accreditations this deserves all the awards i want i want an oscar i want an oscar i want an emmy i want um you know, an MTV movie award. Give, give me, give me the Moon Man. But no, this movie, this movie is exactly what it's supposed to be: outlandish, insane, seventies type. So much, so much of seventies filmmaking is like revenge fantasy. Yeah, and this is like the ultimate. You know, when you think about homeless people; they are the most vulnerable outside of children. They're the most vulnerable amongst us. What happens when you give superpowers essentially to the most vulnerable? They they go crazy and they take revenge and they, you know and they, power trip. Yeah. So this idea of like let's take a homeless guy and give him a shotgun. I mean, I'm just wondering where he got all, all the ammo <laughs> because that's a lot of ammo that he used, and I mean. He had to do some pretty degrading stuff to get forty dollars to try to buy the lawnmower. Mm-hmm. I want to know where he got the ammo because he doesn't pick up ammo when he leaves the pawn shop. Well, you don't. You miss these scenes of him robbing the Avon Barksdale crew. Well, what I thought, what I figured it was, it was like Resident Evil. You just pick up ammo as you kill people, right? You know, or yeah. if you're down on your health, you pick up like a Red Cross box. Right. Yeah. I mean that. I, that's kind of what what I would assume would happen. So you've seen RoboCop, right? And how ridiculous yes. the villains are in that movie. Yes. So it's, RoboCop. RoboCop's ha- excellent. Yes, it is. RoboCop has that like '70s exploitation style aesthetic to it, where the villains are over the top, the action is bloody and gross, and Hobo with a shotgun is right out of like that. You know, the Drake is ridiculous. The Drake is the Drake has no menace <laughs> to him. He's just like over. It's like Joker, but without any depth. You know, he's just over the top, silly, violent. A, evil evangelistic is mm-hmm. what I what I seen. He was like the evil an evil evangelist. Yeah, they have the two dopey sons, you know, and they, they they have they have no moral compass at all. They're just pure evil, you know. But they're not like gothy pure evil. They're like stupid pure evil. You know, like, oh, like it's fun to kill people. Yay! They're like they're jocks that they're spoiled rich kids, which yeah. In the late 70s, early 80s, you've probably seen that kind of model right. of, of the the upper crust of of kids that were really pretty much thought that they were above everything. They could do anything they wanted because they had money. And that's kind of the vibe I got with the two sons. Yeah. Uh, 
because you know they do murder people. The bumper car, <laughs> the bumper car scene is like my favorite part. Outside of the best line ever delivered in a movie, I have to go wash this man's asshole out of my mouth. Yeah, if I had a nickel. So anyway, um, <laughs> that was it. Was just it's just how he delivered the the line and just how he delivered it because she's sitting there covered in blood and he just goes. <laughs> I have to go wash this man's asshole out of my mouth. You know, we, we were having this whole long discussion, almost three hour discussion last night about Black Panther Wakanda forever. Oh, and, God. It is, and it is a reminder. Yeah, it is a reminder of how soulless a lot of, you know, modern movie making is today. Hobo with a shotgun reminds us that film can be a lot of fun and that sometimes when you don't care about your audience, you just, you know, you're making a thing, whoever finds it finds it, whoever watches it watches it, whatever loss you take on it you take, but you you just want to have the fun and fulfilling um the, the fun and fulfilling experience of making something in your imagination come to life on screen and it takes you to the place of saying I have to wash this man's asshole out of my mouth. I truly appreciate that. That is why I come to the movies. I I don't think it's so you don't care about your audience because this this is a niche audience. Um, well, you I care, you about, care about your audience. Like you're not trying to sell this to women, children, and men. You know, eighteen to forty. You know, you are you are selling this to a, a, the sliver of people who would enjoy this sort of. It, thing. It's it's a very it's a very specific demographic that yeah. that enjoys this, like sociopaths like myself, yeah. um, and Winfrey, um, <laughs> and Pat. Uh, God, we have a lot of sociopaths on this network, um, but it's it's films like this that gain a cult following, uh, and that's how Machete got made. Because mm -hmm. when the when the trailer was seen, there was just so much buzz and talk about that trailer itself that they decided that it it got more buzz than the actual movies. So mm -hmm. that's what that's what convinced him to make it into a full length movie, plus Danny Trejo. Um, but that's that's this movie. You don't make these movies for big lifetime achievement awards. That's going to be re <laughs> re uh, that's going to make billions of dollars in theaters. You make these movies for a cult following that enjoy your film and the fact that you want there's an idea that you want to do and you see this a lot more because you see a lot of bigger name actors doing indie films mm -hmm. these this is basically the director's indie film that they want to just do some a passion project for them sometimes a, a big name director they have enough money to back a passion project that's what these three movies are uh going back to the first two movies the grindhouse movies like the idea that they dated the film, you had the scratches, you had the dubbing, you had the rewind, certain rewinds, that that was because they wanted to do that. This was a passion project for them. They didn't care if that made money. They make, they make big budget movies to make money. This was a passion project. This was something that they want to do. And they have an audience and a following where they can do this to make, you know, to make a little bit of the money back. It's not going to be a budget success. Hobo with a shotgun is basically I, I seen it as pretty much as a um, as a look into the dark, darker side of people. Like mm -hmm. you said, you give somebody power. 
we have all these superhero movies. Superhero movies start with tragedy. Name an origin story that doesn't start with tragedy of some sort. It's not really there. This is if a superhero, this is a realistic superhero movie. Like, if somebody didn't have superpowers, they could go out and be a vigilante. This is like Batman. This is like a broke Batman. You know, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne on welfare is what this is. <laughs> this, Bruce, Wayne, Bruce Wayne, if he didn't become a ninja? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is Bruce Wayne. Well, I mean, he became a ninja because he had the money to go study. This is it. This is if Bruce Bruce Wayne was born into poverty and was was getting a state assistant check every month. Um, <laughs> there's your there's your TikTok video. Um, but this is but it's kind of based in realism, and people don't see that because we do have a huge homeless problem. We do have a huge uh, divide in classes, and this is what basically turns the light in. On to what if they had the power to make a difference? How mm -hmm. would they how how they would abuse that power? I'm gonna give it up. Last thing I want to say on this, and then we'll start to close out. I want to give it up for Rudger Howard. He didn't have to do this, but I yeah. think you know, as an actor, I wouldn't call this stretching, but I think as an actor, you do like to play. And I think it was like, hey, Rutger, you know, you're getting up there in age. What if you were like a crazy homeless guy with a shotgun? He's like, you sold me at crazy homeless. You know? Yes. Yeah. I and, mean, and, and he just like so again, so much of so much of performance, um, so much of the craft of movie making is the director really guiding the actors, um, working collaboration with the actors to create the best performance possible. But what if you just let the actor play and just shot him? Just shot him. Yeah. Doing what he thinks is right for that role, and you're not really directing him as such, other than blocking out his you know, his movements in the scene, because I feel like Jason Eisner really did that with Rector Howard here. It's like, I, you have Rector Howard, sure. just let him play. He'll be fine. You know, and then he's got this really juicy part of like a, home, a crazy homeless guy with a shotgun who's out for revenge against, you know, insane criminals. Like you don't need Marvel level directing there. You can just let, let the experts that you've hired to make your fantasy film do what they do best. And magic happens. And while Hobo with a Shotgun is not is not Nomadland by any stretch of the imagination, no, it is still a fun watch, and I was wildly amused while I was watching it. And I'll give you the last word. Yeah, um, this is like I said, this is one one of those things that I feel that they just turned the camera on and said, "Here's the outline. Just <laughs> be within this outline. This yeah. is <laughs> this is what we're shooting because this isn't really heavy on dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of Rucker Howard's mannerisms and body body language uh portray the tone of stuff that he feels so it's really one of these things that it's just like go have fun this yeah. is a this is a movie where the, he probably like you say he probably just look at right around okay the, we have a homeless man who's a hobo he has a shotgun he kills people make make magic and yep. and just turn the camera on and again, taking all the way back to where we started with this discussion, when you just love film, you know, when you love to see people's imaginations come alive on the screen, it, it doesn't always, I, I think my, my problem with the modern film landscape now between the makers and the studios and the fans is everybody wants the Avengers. And yes. there, there was a time before the Avengers where 
sure you had your your Jaws, your Raiders of the Lost Ark, your Star Wars, but you had so many other little crazy pictures, things you would have never even thought of. Like, you know, I talked about this recently. I it may have been on a date, may have been on a podcast, may have been on both. But I remember, actually, I remember I was talking to a 21-year-old girl and I was like, so, um, no, it wasn't her, it was somebody else. And I was like, so I used to go to the Tower Records and I would scour through the Tower Records looking through like the something weird videos and the soul cinema stuff. Not a single word I said was understood. Not a one. Do you know what probably, You probably <laughs> was, was Charlie Brown's teacher. Tony. Yeah, I was, didn't know what Tower Records was, didn't know what something weird was or what, or what that represented, had no clue what soul cinema was. And I'm like, Tower Records, <laughs> Walmart for, you know, for records and DVDs. And I had to explain that there was this whole culture of which this comes from, rounding it all the way back to the beginning, this culture of like drive-in movies, um, you know, stag reels, drive-in movies, uh, movies that were uh, that, that were local, um, regional films. Like yeah. you might get a reel of a movie that doesn't make it out of the Southwest. And, right. then, and then once it comes off the projector, it's kind of sits in a warehouse for years on end. A lot of that stuff got bought up and collected and became the something weird collections. You know, my first experience with a nudie cutie was one of those movies. It was something like women on, not Amazon women on the moon, but it was something about naked women, um, naked women in space. That and does not surprise me that you would, <laughs> you would purchase a movie called naked women in space. Yeah. I don't think it was called naked women in space, but it was definitely a naked women in space movie. Does not surprise me. <laughs> it was a nudie cutie, by the way, it was a type of a uh, genre of film. You ever experienced the nudie cutie Jason Teasley of the Screaming Boy podcast? I was a Screaming Boy podcast. I, I, I went <laughs> back. I mean, no, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, me and you grew up in the same era. We grew right. up uh, experiencing a lot of the same similar life experiences. And mm -hmm. that's what that's what's really weird is because I think me and you grew up in one of the best generations because we was pre-internet, grew with the internet. And now we have the technology age and we've seen all the differences but we can still have that nostalgic values that we go back to right. growing up that, you know, we could remember Tower Records. We can remember going to the mall. I mean, oh, my God, Sam out. Goody, because Goody got yeah. it. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the overpriced cassette tapes. Oh, God. Remember the cassette tapes that came in like the uh, plastic thing that had to be like unlocked? Yes. Yeah. The little like flap in the front. They had to do yeah. the, the, the special key. Yeah, we uh, and this is something that a lot of people probably do not even realize. Growing mm -hmm. up, me and you growing up, we seen the the era of ratings on music, ratings oh, on yeah. video games. Uh, two Life sticker. Crew, mm -hmm. Crew Crew Life, Two Life Crew was the was the first censored um, band mm -hmm. that you know that created the the music labels that you right. see that. You know, and pretty much, the, and Madonna. Remember that movie Madonna had that was oh, NC seventeen. Like Justify My Love or some shit. I don't know. Remember that? And, yeah, she this, and she had like the picture book that was called just called Sex. Yeah, we we did that. That's how you got movie mm -hmm. ratings uh, right. because a lot of there a lot of movies were just PG, <laughs> R. But that, so that was the X. fun of that was the fun of going into mom and pop shops or the Tower Records yeah. was in the in the when dvds first became a thing in order to have stock to sell again a lot of that old footage was was bought up by different producers and it was cheap content to make they 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 threw the stuff uh, they digitized the stuff they threw it on a dvd they threw a 20 dollars price tag on it 
and sent it to the Tower Records. Um, Soul Cinema, same thing. A lot of those old 70s exploitation movies that you'd only find in like local theaters or your drive-ins. The whole drive-in culture was its own thing. I was thinking about this before the show started. When you think about like the 60s and the 70s, you, your parents were home. So if you, yeah. if you, ha- you know, so you have, you know, the kids of the greatest generation, they've got cars, they've got freedom for the first time, you know, in America, you have the ability to have a car, drive around, we're in peacetime, we're in an age where, you know, American families are flush, everyone has money, more or less. And so you've got your, you know, you're, you've got your youth, your good looks and your car, and you're out there with a babe, you can't bring your babe back to your house, your, your, your fucking parents are home. <laughs> they don't let right. they never left so where would you go where would you bring your babe for a little bit of necking you go to the drive-in see now see these kids today they don't know they know about netflix and chill right yeah you know or hulu and roofie whatever you call it you know it, it's <laughs> not dri- not driving and dicking <laughs> exactly not not driving and necking um you know but that's what you did back in the day and so drive-ins had to have fresh fucking movies to show and they would show hobo with a shotgun or death proof or planet terror and i miss those days jason teasley i, I miss those even though i'm born in 1976 when much of this was coming to an end um i i, I miss i miss the era that i wasn't born in but yeah i mean uh just you know as my final thought here it's yeah it closes out a lot of um things mean you do and and appreciation mean you have grown for each other because mm-hmm. Before we started doing a lot of these movies, we didn't realize that we had a lot more in common in the mo- movie genre than what we did. You know, the mm-hmm. black exploitations, you know, that we did for Black History Month all month. Um, you know, th- those films, the the um, love of like the older 70s movies, like the mm-hmm. USA Up All Night movies, the, right. you know, just the ridiculous stuff that was on TV that you know, like, and I, and I want to pitch this to you live here. Uh, I want to do a Toxic, toxic Avengers um, uh, discussion. Not like a real in-depth. I just want to do like the, like a long road to ruin on Toxic Avenger at some how point many, in our lifetime. How many are there? Uh, I think there's six. Oh, I'm not, God. I'm not like a hundred percent, but <laughs> it's like, it's like Leprechaun. We could, we could discuss like the good ones and the bad ones or like Hellraiser. I think um, um, I think that's what we did for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm like, I'm not doing all of these. We're going to pick three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just because Toxic, uh, Toxic Avenger was one of those staple movies. It's, mm-hmm. it's It was basically, quote unquote, an early 80s, 70s, 80s superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And it fits a lot of genres that mean you like. So, you know, I love coming on here. I love doing these movies because we get to talk and we get to see our appreciation from a film industry that has gone by the wayside and has been forgotten. All right, folks. Uh, well, we're not done with you, Jason Teasley. You'll be back in a few weeks. I don't know what else you're doing, but on my I've account, got, uh, I'll be back here next week with Alexa, Alexa to Alexis to review the menu. Okay. Um, you're on the, okay. I don't have you on the menu. So maybe, let me add you while you're talking about it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on the menu. That's the that's um, homecoming day. That's the night before Thanksgiving. Um, I can't do it Tuesday in our normal Daniel Hollywood spot because I'll be at Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, you're not David. You're Jason. Um, so, 
yes, next Wednesday, the night before Thanksgiving, Jason Teasley, Alexis Haina, and I, and uh, Robert Winfrey will all be doing the menu, unless none of us can see the menu in time, because it's in limited release, in which case we're doing Slumberland, uh, which is going to be on Netflix. But let's assume everyone can get to a theater and be adults about this, and it's in wide enough release that we can all find it, then yes, we will be reviewing the menu. But after that, goddammit, pal, um, Jason will be back on the 15th of December for our long road to ruin on the Anaconda movies. <laughs> My Anaconda point. don't want none. Unless you got buns on. So yeah, Jason at the beginning of the year was like, right, let's do this. Wouldn't this be fun? And hey, and then I became social and I was like, okay, all of these are going away. But I was like, but Anaconda is too fun. I can't cancel Anaconda. <laughs> and I couldn't cancel this one. This one I genuinely wanted. I, I genuinely wanted to talk about. And he was like, let's do Anaconda too. And I'm like, you know, I haven't done a dumb Long Road to Ruin in a while. Like, you know, just, just for the fucking hell. Because like, Long Road to Ruin used to be that. It used to just be like, what movies do we feel like talking about? Oh, let's talk about these movies. Those are fun. Because they weren't linked to anything. And then I, you know, and then I got this idea that, oh, maybe more people listen to the podcast if I synergize stuff. Um, yeah, I was not correct. <laughs> so, so when Jason was like, I want to talk about the Anaconda movies. I'm like, so do I. They're dumb. So, yeah, uh, yeah we love, we love the, we love we the love Anaconda the, movies. We love the dumb. Um, so yes. yeah, the December... great CGI of the Anaconda movies. <laughs> yes. Yes. So December 15th, uh, you'll be on for that. Are you coming on for, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? No, I'm not. Pardon. Okay. Are you coming on for Avatar? No, hell no. Okay. Didn't like the first one. Then I think that's it for you for the year. Then um, yes. No, I think you'll be yes. back for Cocaine Bear, which is an adult yes. category of next year. Yes, I, I am so excited for Cocaine Bear. Oh my god, my I, wife just doesn't even understand how excited I am for Cocaine Bear. So I'm pissed about that. Um, I'm going to Vegas the weekend that that comes out, and there's no way I'm going to be able to see it in time. So I had so we have to delay it till the second week. It's going to be in theaters to review it. But I was telling her, I'm like, I don't understand. I understand we're going with sexy people to do sexy things in Vegas, but why can't we take a minute? And go see Cocaine Bear, and she's like, "I will, I will fly to Vegas." Will you please? <laughs> I will fly to Vegas. We'll go see Co Cocaine Bear, and then I'll fly back to West Virginia. That sounds great. Yeah, come okay. meet me in West Virginia. Actually, come meet me in Las Vegas. Get me away from the sexy people, so we can go see Cocaine Bear. Because I'm a I really sexy care. Person. Because I care. Then stay for the sexy party. I don't really okay. care. But as long as I have someone to go see Cocaine Bear with, I don't give a shit about the sexy, the sexy party. Okay. Um. <laughs> now enough about my social life. In the meantime, in between time, last night we spent three hours talking about Wakanda forever because, you know, Chadwick Boseman died. Prior to that, we spent an hour talking about Rings of Power. We really didn't necessarily talk about Rings of Power. We talked a lot about the critical drinker, though. Uh, tonight, we're continuing our journey from the corner to the deuce, the great works of David Simon, this time focusing on The Wire Season 4. Tomorrow, assuming she doesn't cancel on me, we're looking at the Michael Pollan documentary, How to Change Your Mind, she being my old boss, uh, Adrian Wagner. And then it's our late to the party, but uh, that's okay. The triple feature for Veterans Day, Full Metal Jacket, The Outpost, and Hamburger Hell on that. We'll have Andrew Graham on it. And then speaking of fun things we used to do, um, <laughs> hey, Jason, remember, remember when we had fun on this network and we used to do fun things? Well... The, there was one time that we dedicated an entire month to Alan Moore. Um, and fuck Firestorm while you're at it. So uh, the three of the four comic ships that haven't aired already, because we already did V for Vendetta earlier this year, are re-airing our Watchmen um, comic strip, our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and our From Hell. And that's going to take us into Thanksgiving week. So um, 
go ahead and plug your uh, plug your football podcast. All right, you can find me over on Mosaic Media MC. Um, you can find us on all uh, platforms, uh, part of the Mosaic Media family, uh, where we do the second and short from the Cheap Seats podcast, talking fantasy football. Uh, Ty does an amazing job with our uh, graphics. Um, definitely go check those out on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Mosaic East Coast. Um, Ty is at Mosaic underscore M underscore C. Uh, we do a lot of uh, tweeting about fantasy football. We're right in the heart of the NFL season, so a lot of stuff's going on, a lot of discussions going on. And you can listen to us on your favorite podcasting platform as well as YouTube. All right. With that said, I want to thank Jason Teasley for hanging out with me today. Um, always a fun discussion with you. We always discuss fun Velocipaster movies um, and zombies. So un until then, uh, be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>